We've now gone through the stories of Greg Popovich, Kawhi Leonard, and the San Antonio Spurs. We've detailed the entire 2018 season and done our best to figure out exactly where everything went wrong. Now, it's time for everyone in San Antonio to go their separate ways. This is our final episode of the series. On episode 5, we're going to discuss the details of the Kawhi Leonard trade, follow Kawhi in his path to Canada, and figure out what happened in San Antonio in the four years following the Leonard trade. We'll also wrap up the podcast and provide our closing thoughts to the series. This is the fall of the Spurs dynasty. Episode 5, The Fall On June 15th, 2018, Kawhi Leonard's camp made his trade request from the San Antonio Spurs public through a report from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Kawhi Leonard was not going to sign his Supermax contract extension with the San Antonio Spurs, and he requested that the San Antonio Spurs trade him to either New York or Los Angeles to avoid a lame duck 2019 season in San Antonio. Following the Spurs' elimination against the Golden State Warriors in the first round of the playoffs, Kawhi Leonard had been avoiding the team and any of their contacts. Kawhi Leonard stayed in New York during the Spurs' playoff series, and on May 1st, the Ramona Shelburne report came out detailing Kawhi's camp's side of the story. In the six weeks since the Spurs had been eliminated, Kawhi Leonard had been avoiding all calls, texts, and messages from the San Antonio Spurs. Greg Popovich had been spending the last two months mourning the death of his wife, Erin. She passed away on April 18, 2018, prior to the Spurs' Game 3 against the Golden State Warriors. Pop and his children made funeral arrangements, paid final services, and grieved together in the loss of their beloved wife and mother. All of the old Spurs, including Kawhi, were there to attend Aaron's funeral following the 2018 season. The death of Aaron Popovich adds a new layer to this story we didn't know about during the 2018 season. Pop had known in 2018 that Aaron's health was failing, even if it wasn't publicized. Was Pop trying to juggle too many plates at once? Was it possible for him to be fully present at work, knowing that he was spending the final months with his life partner at home? In a different world, was there more Popovich could have done to help mend the relationship with Kawhi Leonard? We'll never know the answers to what role all of this played in the 2018 Spurs season. It's better that we don't know. Grief is a complex set of emotions, and everyone processes it in different ways. It will just be one of those pieces of information that will be lost to history. Greg Popovich told Kawhi Leonard he would not honor his trade request unless the two of them met together one-on-one. In 2017, Spurs All-Star LaMarcus Aldridge was unhappy with his usage in the Spurs offense and told Popovich he wanted to be traded if the dynamics weren't going to change. 
Pop sat down with Aldridge, worked out a revamped offense, and they both left feeling better about the situation. Two years later, Aldridge went from trade request to signing a contract extension with the Spurs. In 2000, Tim Duncan was going to leave the Spurs in free agency. He had agreed to form a super team in Orlando with future NBA Hall of Famers Grant Hill and Tracy McGrady. Before signing with the Magic, he met with Popovich in San Antonio. Twelve hours later, he was signing an extension with the Spurs. Maybe it was something Pop said, maybe Tim got cold feet about leaving, but regardless, Tim Duncan switched from being out the door to back in San Antonio. Popovich felt that he needed to talk face-to-face with Kawhi and work through their differences. If they couldn't, then Pop would go ahead and make the trade. Either way, he had to try and communicate with his star player. On June 19th, four days after the trade request went public, Greg Popovich flew to San Diego to meet one-on-one with Kawhi. Reportedly, Kawhi's camp didn't want him to meet with Popovich without having Uncle Dennis present. No national reporters ever confirmed this to be the case, though. In the end, it was just Kawhi and Pop, together. The meeting between the two reportedly lasted about 90 minutes. According to ESPN's Stephen A. Smith, Kawhi Leonard, quote, looked Greg Popovich in the eyes and told him, I don't want to play in San Antonio anymore. Pop then asked him if there was anything he could do to change his mind and Kawhi told him that there was not. When the meeting ended, Popovich told Kawhi that he understood him and apologized for the role he played in Kawhi's unhappiness. Then, Greg left San Diego. The Spurs wrapped up their NBA draft preparations, then started fielding trade offers for their franchise superstar. Trading a superstar is a difficult process in the NBA because you are almost always getting less than what they are worth. Kawhi Leonard told the Spurs he wanted to play for three teams, the New York Knicks, Los Angeles Clippers, and Los Angeles Lakers. This was important to keep in mind because it incentivizes those three teams to give up more assets in exchange for Kawhi Leonard. For those three teams, Kawhi is willing to sign a long-term extension with them Therefore, any trade will be worth five years of Kawhi Leonard for those teams, whereas everybody else is trading for one year of Kawhi Leonard. Thus, those three teams are more likely to give up important pieces of their team. It's a point of leverage for a star player when they request a trade. The New York Knicks were in the middle of a rebuild. The following season in 2019, they would have the worst record in all of the NBA. There was no way they could trade for Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers were interested in Kawhi, although two things were working against them. One, Kawhi wanted to be a Laker more than a Clipper. And two, the Lakers had a much better trade package than the Clippers. All three of those teams currently did not have a player better than Kawhi Leonard on their team. Between 2011 and 2019, the Los Angeles Lakers had the worst record of any NBA franchise. They spent years in the tank during the end of the Kobe Bryant era, and traded many of their draft picks to Orlando and Philadelphia to acquire Dwight Howard for one year. 
the Lakers drafted number two overall in the NBA draft for three straight years. In 2015, they drafted Ohio State's D'Angelo Russell. In 2016, they drafted future all-star Brandon Ingram from Duke. And in 2017, they drafted Lonzo Ball from UCLA. The Lakers offered the Spurs a package of Lonzo Ball, NBA All-Rookie Team member Kyle Kuzma, number 30 pick in 2017 Josh Hart, and a package of draft picks for Kawhi Leonard. The Lakers had a problem. One, the Spurs weren't interested in a package of young players and picks. And two, Greg Popovich was simply not interested in trading with the Los Angeles Lakers. As we talked about in episode one, the Spurs and Lakers were bitter rivals during the peak of the Spurs dynasty. Between 1998 and 2010, nine of the 12 NBA titles were won by either the Spurs or the Lakers. Greg Popovich was of the belief that you don't give your arch rival a generational talent. This idea is widely debated in sports media spaces. Some people believe it's sacrilegious to trade with your rival, pointing to examples like how the Boston Red Sox traded Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees in 1920. Others, myself included, believe that the person in charge has an obligation to get the best possible trade package they can get. If it happens to come from a team you consider a rival, then so be it. The Spurs and the Lakers couldn't reach a deal. Then, on July 1st, the Lakers landed themselves a golden goose. LeBron James left the Cleveland Cavaliers to sign with the Lakers on a four-year contract. LeBron chose the Lakers because, like Kawhi Leonard, he too wanted to play basketball in Los Angeles and continue building his media company in Hollywood. It's difficult to explain just how much LeBron James dominated basketball media during this time period. Nothing could move TV, radio, or newspaper ratings quite like a story about LeBron James. Once he joined the Lakers, Kawhi Leonard recognized that anything he did would always be secondary in the news to anything LeBron James. It was after LeBron signed with the Lakers that Kawhi lost interest in going to the Lakers. Lucky for him, the Spurs weren't going to trade him there anyways. The calendar turned to July, and for the next two weeks, the Spurs and Kawhi remained in a weird limbo. Only a few teams could afford the Spurs' price, and Kawhi didn't want to re-sign with the teams who could. There was very little news on the Kawhi Leonard front. Additionally, during these two weeks, Kawhi Leonard's former agent Brian Elphis sued Kawhi's current agent Mitch Frankel over unpaid commission on Kawhi's first contract. As we talked about in episode 4, Mitch Frankel's agency, Impact Sports Management, was taking on significant debt, and Kawhi's next big contract was going to help stabilize his company financially. The Spurs and Kawhi were stuck waiting for somebody to step up to the plate. Then, on July 11th, the Toronto Raptors became that team. The Toronto Raptors were an NBA expansion franchise in 1995. They are currently Canada's only NBA franchise. Despite drafting Hall of Famers like Tracy McGrady, 
Vince Carter, and Chris Bosh, the Raptors only won one playoff series in their first 20 years of existence. In 2009, Toronto drafted DeMar DeRozan with the ninth pick in the draft. DeRozan would go on to make four all-star teams with the Toronto Raptors, the most since Chris Bosh made five from 2006 to 2010. In 2012, the Raptors traded for Kyle Lowry from the Houston Rockets. Lowry was an average starting point guard for four seasons in Memphis and Houston. After joining Toronto, Lowry made six all-star teams and will one day himself be an NBA Hall of Famer. In 2013, the Toronto Raptors hired Masai Ujiri as chief basketball decision maker. Ujiri was one of the best executives in the NBA, building the Denver Nuggets team that made a Western Conference Finals in 2009. Ujiri left Denver following a bitter contract dispute with team ownership. Like with the Spurs, Ujiri was great at finding talented basketball players without having great draft picks. In 2015, he drafted Norman Powell with the 46th pick. Powell would go on to be one of the best bench players in all of the NBA. In 2016, he drafted Pascal Siakam with the Raptors' 27th pick in the draft. Siakam is from Cameroon played college basketball at New Mexico State, and originally was assigned to the Raptors' developmental league team. In 2020, Siakam would be a 20-point-per-game scorer and make his first All-NBA team. That same year, Ujiri signed an undrafted free agent named Fred Van Fleet from Wichita State. Five years later, Van Fleet would sign an $80 million contract and make his first all-star team with the Raptors. With DeRozan, Lowry, and Ujiri, the Raptors made the playoffs for five straight seasons. In 2016, the Raptors had their best season in franchise history, winning 56 games and advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals. DeMar DeRozan was an unrestricted free agent after the 2016 season. Raptors fans were bracing themselves for his departure, just like McGrady in 2000, or Vince Carter in 2002, or Chris Bosh in 2010. Star players never stayed in Toronto longer than they had to. Instead, DeRozan signed a five-year max extension to remain with the Raptors. He and Lowry were the first star players who genuinely wanted to play in Toronto. Lowry and DeRozan were also best friends in real life, a title that can't be said for most NBA star tandems. The two of them loved Toronto, and Toronto loved them. In 2016, the Raptors won 56 games, a franchise record. They lost in the conference finals to LeBron James. In 2017, the Raptors won 59 games, another franchise record. In the second round, they lost a four-game sweep to LeBron James. In 2018, the Raptors won 58 games. They finished with the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. In the second round, they lost a four-game sweep to LeBron James. The Toronto Raptors were great. 
They just weren't as great as the Cleveland Cavaliers. Masai Ujiri was determined to get Toronto over Cleveland. After the 2018 season, Masai fired Coach of the Year Dwayne Casey. It made for a very awkward speech when Casey was presented the Coach of the Year award a month later as the coach of the Detroit Pistons. As we mentioned earlier, LeBron James left the Cavaliers to join the Los Angeles Lakers. This meant the Cavaliers were no longer a threat for the Raptors. Still, Masai jumped at the opportunity to upgrade from an all-star like DeMar DeRozan to a superstar like Kawhi Leonard. On July 11th, the Raptors offered their first trade to the Spurs. One week later, they had a trade in place. The Spurs called Uncle Dennis and told him about the trade. He told them Kawhi was still not interested in re-signing with Toronto. The thing was, Toronto was totally okay with that. They were willing to take Kawhi for one season and work to convince him to stay in Toronto. This brings us all the way back to where we began episode one, with DeMar DeRozan sitting in a jack-in-the-box parking lot at 2 a.m. on July 18th. DeMar was heartbroken, not just because he loved playing in Toronto with Kyle Lowry, also because he had been told four days earlier he wasn't going to get traded. The San Antonio Spurs traded Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green to the Toronto Raptors in exchange for DeMar DeRozan, a 2019 first-round pick, and 2016's number 9 overall draft pick, Jakob Pertl. DeRozan would be under contract with the Spurs for three more seasons. Pertl signed an extension with San Antonio for five seasons. Like Kawhi, Danny Green was under contract for one more season. This meant he too would leave in free agency after 2019. When Green first arrived in Toronto, news reports came out that Danny Green had a torn groin in the 2018 season that went undiagnosed by Spurs doctors. This report raised a dozen red flags because of everything that had just gone down with Kawhi and the Spurs doctors. On December 8, 2017, Danny Green suffered a groin strain against the Boston Celtics. Green missed 10 of the Spurs' next 17 games, rehabbing his strain. Green didn't get a second opinion because, similar to Tony Parker, he had trust in the Spurs' doctors. Here's how he described it on his podcast in 2018. Quote, I would feel it, and they, meaning his agent, would be like, Maybe you should get a second opinion. I didn't want to because I have full faith and believe in the Spurs staff. They've always been great to me. They've always done right by me. They've always done a hell of a job. End quote. After the season, an MRI confirmed that Danny Green had a partial tear in his groin. Green doesn't regret the decision to play through because he was dealing with a bunch of injuries that season. At the same time, the experience made him advocate more for getting secondary opinions from doctors outside of teams. Again, here's Green on his podcast. Quote, I see where Kawhi is coming from when he's getting a second opinion. 
I'm not saying Spurs staff is not up to par, it's just that not everyone's a specialist in every area. A second opinion could have helped, but they, meaning the Spurs doctors, did a great job. They did everything they could, but I think it would have been nice to see a specialist, just to see if there was another angle, another view. Just because Kawhi got a second opinion, you can't knock him for that. Everyone should get a second opinion, just to see another perspective." End quote. Could this, perhaps, be further validation for Kawhi Leonard? Or justification of his distrustfulness of the Spurs? Another layer added to the story. Alrighty, y'all, before we continue with the final episode of the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty, I've got a few shout-outs to give here on the show. First, shout-out to Pounding the Rock. They are the SB Nation San Antonio Spurs site. There's a link to their website in the description to this episode. They have given me the ability to create articles and uh, advertise this here wonderful podcast to all of the great fans and community over there. So thank you so much to Pounding the Rock. I've said it on every episode and I will say it again. This podcast exists because of Pounding the Rock. They have made this podcast series possible. I've enjoyed myself in making all five episodes and I'm really, really grateful to them. Also want to give a shout out to Bet Online Sportsbook. They have been supporting our podcast, not this podcast, the Take It Easy podcast, my main podcast feed for the last year, and they have continued their support along with the Believe Podcast Network. They picked up our podcast back in August of last year. We're coming up on one year with them, and uh, I've been doing that podcast every day for about three years or so, and uh, their continued support has helped make my dreams possible. And you guys are helping to support the dreams by listening to this show, downloading episodes, leaving five-star reviews, all that stuff. It, it's all helping to support my dreams. If you want to see some of my other work, it's available with the link in the description to this episode as well. Those are the shout-outs I need to give. All of those people have been supporters of this show, and I want to show them the thanks that they deserve. So with that being said, let us resume episode five of the fall of the Spurs dynasty. Kawhi Leonard reported to Toronto for the 2019 NBA season. Early on in the season, Kawhi Leonard had himself a new apparel contract. In November 2018, Kawhi Leonard signed a four-year, $22 million contract with incentives to become the face of New Balance. It was a surprising move considering New Balance hadn't made a basketball shoe since 1997. Their last major client was 1980s Showtime Lakers star James Worthy. The company was known for making shoes that your grandma wears when she goes on power walks. New Balance was a hugely successful apparel brand without diving into the four major shoe sports. Baseball, tennis, basketball, and soccer. They mostly sold running shoes and shoes for general exercise, which is a much harder market to succeed in. The company earns $4.4 billion per year in revenue without selling basketball shoes. Throwing $6 million a year for one of the best basketball players in the world was an easy bet for the company to make because it was a low-risk move. It also worked out great for Kawhi Leonard 
because the deal included a national commercial campaign. And remember, Kawhi's business partners were looking for larger marketability. What better way to do that than have Kawhi's face in commercials for every NBA broadcast? Within four months of signing Kawhi, the company produced its first pair of basketball shoes this millennium. Kawhi Leonard debuted the Omni Ones at the NBA All-Star Game in Charlotte. He also debuted his first national commercial, where New Balance played into Kawhi's quiet demeanor. In this commercial, Kawhi Leonard is wearing a New Balance hoodie, looking into a camera, and not saying a word for 30 seconds. Texts and subtitles show up all around him, saying that, quote, Kawhi doesn't need your attention because he already has it, end quote. Over the next three years, Kawhi Leonard recorded four more national commercials with New Balance. He doesn't say a single word in any of the four commercials. Closed captioning and text pop up all around Kawhi to narrate the commercials. In 2020, Kawhi Leonard began releasing his own signature shoe with New Balance, something he didn't have with Jordan Brand. He also released his own merchandise line. Based on his sales, Kawhi's contract could go up from the $22 million over four years. The Kawhi Leonard campaign was a success for New Balance in establishing themselves back into the basketball market. In the two years after signing Kawhi, New Balance signed deals with NBA All-Stars Zach Levine, Jalen Brown, and DeJounte Murray from the San Antonio Spurs. Still, Kawhi remained the highest paid athlete at New Balance, and the only player with his own signature shoe. In 2022, New Balance signed their second signature star, famous rap star Jack Harlow who as of 2022 has three number one singles and his current album is ranked number four on the Billboard Top 100. His New Balance endorsement deal was the first deal the company signed for more money than Kawhi Leonard. After signing with New Balance, Harlow made a commercial where the Louisville rapper and Kawhi play pickup basketball decked out in New Balance merch. If you watched any of the NBA playoffs during this year, it was impossible to miss this commercial. In episode 4, we discussed how Uncle Dennis and Mitch Frankel concluded that if Kawhi was going to make up the extra 15 to $30 million by leaving San Antonio, a new shoe contract and a new larger city would be the best way to accomplish this. Mitch Frankel and Uncle Dennis had secured Kawhi not just a new apparel deal, but one where Kawhi was the global face of the brand. If they could move products, they could increase their apparel contract. They had the shoe deal. The next step was a new, larger city. New York and Los Angeles are the two largest cities by population in the United States. It makes sense Kawhi would want to play for those teams. The third largest city in the US is Chicago, with a population of around 2.6 million people. Toronto, Canada's largest city, has a population of 3 million people. It wasn't originally part of the plan, but Toronto did match the description of a larger city where Kawhi's marketability would improve. Toronto had never cared about basketball as a sport. Hockey is by far the number one sport in Canada. 
The Toronto Maple Leafs, who haven't won a Stanley Cup championship since 1967, are still the second most valuable hockey franchise. The owners of the Maple Leafs bought the Toronto Raptors as a side piece in 1998 just so they could fill the calendar with free rent in their brand new hockey arena. The success of the Raptors from 2013 to 2018 brought out the Toronto sports fan to basketball for the first time. The Raptors were selling out season tickets for the first time in franchise history. They went from being the 25th most valuable NBA franchise to the 10th most valuable within eight years. Additionally, the Raptors were a team that all of Canada could root for, because unlike their seven hockey teams, Canada had only one basketball team. The 2019 Toronto Raptors won 58 games and finished with the second best record in all of the NBA. Kawhi played in only 60 games while averaging a career-high 26.6 points per game. Kyle Lowry made the All-Star team and Pascal Siakam won the NBA's Most Improved Player Award. When the NBA's trading deadline rolled around, Masai Ujiri again made aggressive moves for the 2019 season. Masai traded starting center Jonas Valanciunas, the Raptors' fourth leading scorer, in exchange for starting center Marc Gasol. Gasol is a future NBA Hall of Famer, but by this point in his career he was a shell of his former self. He scored 9 points, 6 rebounds, and 1 block per game, and started every single one of Toronto's playoff games during the 2019 season. In a span of six months, Masai Ujiri had traded DeMar DeRozan, two former top 10 picks, two more first round picks, and another future first rounder for Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, and Marc Gasol. All three players weren't guaranteed to be on the Toronto Raptors beyond that season. These were the types of trades where people get fired if they don't work out. The team needed to perform in the playoffs. In the first round of the 2019 playoffs, Toronto easily defeated the 7-seed Orlando Magic. In the second round, Toronto matched up with the Philadelphia 76ers, led by Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. The 76ers made all-in moves themselves, trading for Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris within a span of two months. Both Butler and Harris would be free agents at the end of the 2019 season, and the 76ers gave up multiple players and draft picks to acquire both of those players. Both of these teams were all in on the 2019 season. Game 1 of the series was played in Toronto. Kawhi Leonard scored 45 points and added 11 rebounds in a Toronto Raptors win. It was the most points Kawhi had scored in a basketball game since leaving San Antonio. The Raptors lost Game 2, despite Kawhi scoring 35 points. Back in Philadelphia, the 76ers won Game 3 with 33 points from Joel Embiid. Down two games to one, Kawhi Leonard played 42 minutes in Game 4, scoring 39 points and adding 14 rebounds. With a one-point lead and one minute left to play, Danny Green made four free throws, and Marc Gasol had a playoff-high 16 points. The Raptors won by five, 
thanks to the performances of Masai's all-in players. The Raptors dominated Game 5. The 76ers dominated Game 6. It set up a one-game, win-or-go-home Game 7 in Toronto. Up to this point in his career, Kawhi Leonard had never won a Game 7. San Antonio had gone 1-2 and two in Game 7s during Kawhi's career, and their one victory was a 23-point blowout in the first round. Plus, Kawhi Leonard's first famous NBA moment was for missing the game-winning free throw before the Ray Allen shot in the 2013 NBA Finals. With two minutes to play in Game 7, Toronto and Philadelphia were tied at 85 points. With one minute and 41 seconds to play, Kawhi Leonard made a long two-point basket to give Toronto the lead. The city exploded with cheer. Not just the 20,000 people inside the arena, but also the 60,000 plus people gathered outside the arena, watching the game on big televisions in what would be known as Jurassic Park, a play on the Raptors dinosaur name. It's very clever. 30 seconds after Kawhi made the two-pointer, Pascal Siakam followed him up with a two-point basket. Toronto Raptors 89, Philadelphia 76ers 85. Jimmy Butler drew a foul and made one free throw, making it an 89-86 score. With 16 seconds to play, Joel Embiid drew a foul on his shot and made two free throws. Toronto Raptors 89, 76ers 88. Toronto inbounded the ball to Kawhi, and the 76ers fouled him with 10 seconds to play. Kawhi's two free throws could put Toronto up by three points. Even if Philadelphia went down and made a basket, the worst they could do was force overtime. First free throw. Make. Second free throw. Miss. The ball gets batted out to Tobias Harris who passes to Jimmy Butler in transition. Butler kisses the ball off the top of the glass and makes a layup with 4.2 seconds to play. Raptors 90, 76ers 90. It was the Ray Allen situation all over again. Kawhi went 1-for-2 at the free throw line and allowed the game to tie again. Toronto had one timeout left, so they used it and got to advance the ball to half court. Marc Gasol was the inbound passer. Kawhi Leonard was guarded by Ben Simmons, the 76ers' best defender. Siakam set a screen for Kawhi, and Kawhi briefly broke free of Simmons to catch the inbound pass. Kawhi immediately dribbled from one end of the court to the other, trying to get as far away from Simmons as he could. Kawhi ran towards the corner where the 7'1 Joel Embiid ran out from under the basket to catch Kawhi. Kawhi kept running towards the corner, turning and shooting the ball while falling out of bounds. Because of Embiid's hand, Kawhi had to temporarily pause his shot to allow Embiid's hand to go by. The ball leaves Kawhi's hand, and right as it reaches the top of its arc, the big red horn sounds, signaling that this will be the last shot of the fourth quarter. Kawhi lands on his feet and watches the shot. 
Joel Embiid stumbles into the first row of the crowd, collects himself, and turns to watch the shot. To Kawhi's left is the Raptors' bench, watching the shot with anticipation. Ben Simmons stands in front of them. The ball bounces once on the front rim and pops into the air. It bounces off the front rim a second time. Kawhi Leonard crouches down in the corner. Joel Embiid turns his head to see around the basket. The ball bounces off the back rim a third time. 20,000 people hold their breath. The ball bounces a fourth time and slides through the net. Bounce, 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 bounce. Raptors 92, 76ers 90. Game over. In an arena with 100,000 screaming Raptors fans, Kawhi Leonard's scream rang the loudest. He yelled like we had never seen before. His teammates, coaches, and Raptors fans start hugging him from the bench, and Kawhi screams in pure ecstasy. For one night, the baddest man on the planet. Kawhi Leonard just delivered the greatest moment in the history of the Toronto Raptors franchise. There wasn't a close second. This was one of the most iconic shots in modern NBA history, with an iconic photo of Kawhi squatting in the corner to commemorate the moment for decades to come. You heard the video of Raptors fans in Jurassic Park. They didn't know how to contain themselves. Joel Embiid was filmed crying on his way back to the locker room. Oh, and when Kawhi Leonard released his first apparel line with New Balance, he called it the Kawhi Four Bounces Collection. In the Eastern Conference Finals, the Toronto Raptors matched up against the number one seed, the Milwaukee Bucks, led by 2019's most valuable player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis had won the MVP at 24 years old and led Milwaukee to the best record in 2019. The Bucks consisted of Giannis's all-star teammate Chris Middleton, point guard Eric Bledsoe, shooting guard Malcolm Brogdon, and center Brooke Lopez. A very good roster, and also a roster where the five players combined had zero games of conference finals experience. The Bucks were the best team in the NBA for one reason, Giannis who had just established himself as the NBA's best player for the next five years. In games one and two, the Milwaukee Bucks controlled Toronto, winning both games in Milwaukee. Kawhi scored 31 points in both games, and it was no match for the Bucks' high-powered offense. In game two, a 17-point win, Giannis scored 30 points and added 17 rebounds. Six different Milwaukee Bucks scored 12 or more points. In Game 3, Toronto decided that it was more important for Kawhi to defend than it was for him to score. Kawhi's first priority, guard Giannis Antetokounmpo at all costs. No NBA team had ever come back from down three games to zero to win a series. If Toronto lost Game 3 at home, 
It was a wrap. Kawhi held Giannis to just 12 points, and he managed to score 36 points on 25 shots. Game 3 went into overtime, where both teams only made two shots in the entire five-minute period. The game went to a second overtime, both teams looking absolutely exhausted. Kawhi scored 8 of Toronto's 15 points in second overtime, while holding Giannis to 0. With a 3-point lead, Kawhi famously stole the ball from Giannis and dunked it with his left hand in the second overtime. Toronto won Game 3. Kawhi played 52 minutes. The Raptors won Game 4 easily, despite the fact Giannis outscored Kawhi. Milwaukee shot just 30% from three-point range. Game 5 was played in Milwaukee. The series now tied two games to two. Entering the fourth quarter, Milwaukee led Toronto by three points. Kawhi Leonard played one of his best quarters of basketball since that last playoff game in San Antonio. He scored 15 points in the quarter and held Giannis to just six. Toronto won by six points. They were headed back home with a chance to advance to the NBA Finals. In Game 6, Milwaukee led by 15 points with two minutes to play in the third quarter. Once again, Kawhi Leonard dominated Giannis Antetokounmpo, this time to advance to the NBA Finals. From that moment on, Kawhi Leonard outscored Giannis 15-3. The Toronto Raptors went on a 19-3 scoring run, giving them a one-point lead. With 10 seconds left to play, and the Raptors up by four points, Pascal Siakam missed a free throw, and Kawhi Leonard rebounded the ball. He drew a foul from the Bucks with six seconds to play as all of Toronto started cheering and applauding the Raptors. They were headed to the NBA Finals for the first time in franchise history. Kawhi nailed both free throws, finishing off Milwaukee with 27 points, 17 rebounds, and seven assists. Giannis averaged just 20 and a half points per game in the final four games and never scored more than 25. Like Joel Embiid, Giannis could be seen fighting back tears on his way to the locker room. Kawhi Leonard was named the unanimous Eastern Conference Finals Most Valuable Player. Kawhi Leonard was going back to the NBA Finals. And who would be there waiting for him? Say it with me now. Kevin Durant and the Golden State Warriors. Kawhi Leonard had been in the NBA nine seasons. This would be his sixth playoff matchup against Kevin Durant. Except this time, Kevin Durant wouldn't be there to meet him. Durant suffered an ankle and calf injury in the second round of the Warriors playoff run. He hadn't played in three weeks. The Warriors still had Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, and DeMarcus Cousins. Plus, the Western Conference had no real adversary now that Kawhi Leonard wasn't on the Spurs. 
The Warriors beat the Rockets in six games, then swept the Portland Trailblazers without Durant. Durant wanted to play, yet he wasn't cleared to return by Warriors doctors. Toronto hosted the NBA Finals for Games 1 and 2. Toronto won Game 1 easily, with 32 points from Siakam and 25 from Kawhi. Golden State won Game 2, despite a 34-point performance from Kawhi. Toronto had their worst shooting game of the playoffs. Back in Oakland, Klay Thompson missed Game 3 with an injury. The Raptors won easily. Steph Curry scored 47 points, and it didn't matter. Toronto won the game from start to finish. In Game 4, Klay Thompson returned, but Kawhi had his best game of the series. 36 points. 12 rebounds. The Raptors now led the series three games to one. They were going back to Toronto, one win away from winning the championship and denying Golden State their third straight title. The Golden State Warriors were a mess of injuries during the 2019 playoffs. Kevin Durant couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore. He was still one of the best players in the NBA, if not the best player. If Durant were fully healthy, there's a very good chance Golden State would be winning three games to one, not Toronto. The calf and ankle are connected together through the Achilles tendon. It runs from the bottom of the foot up through the back of your leg. When one of the two is injured, it puts a lot of excess strain on the Achilles tendon. This is why when Durant was dealing with the calf injury, it was also affecting his ankle. These are injuries that often have wide timetables for return, because there are so many parts in the body that all need to get right. Durant didn't have time, and the Warriors doctors allowed him to go out there and play. Earlier in the series, the Warriors had also cleared center Kevon Looney to play, despite the fact he had broken his collarbone earlier in the playoffs. Their official reasoning was, there's no way he could injure it more than it already is. Durant was allowed to play on a minutes restriction in Game 5. The Raptors were playing a game at home to win the finals. In the second quarter, Kevin Durant made a cut to the basket from the three-point line. On that cut, Durant dropped the ball and rolled to the floor in pain, and the Raptors dribbled it the other way. Raptors fans cheered in celebration of the basket and, for a time, Kevin Durant's injury. Durant tore his Achilles tendon in Game 5 of the NBA Finals. He played 12 minutes in the entire series. One month later, Durant would leave Golden State to join the Brooklyn Nets. He missed the entire 2020 season, recovering from surgery to repair his Achilles. Toronto was leading for most of Game 5. At one point, Kawhi Leonard made seven straight points in the fourth quarter. A fierce comeback by Steph Curry and the Warriors' offense forced a Game 6 in Oakland. In that Game 6, the Warriors got dealt another catastrophic blow. Klay Thompson tore his ACL in his left knee, coming down on a dunk attempt. He would miss all of the next season. The Warriors still had a lead against Toronto in Game 6. Without Kevin Durant 
or Clay Thompson, and having Kevon Looney play with a broken collarbone. Golden State was finding ways to attack Toronto's defense. Prior to Clay Thompson's injury, he scored 30 points in two and a half quarters. Golden State held a four-point lead in the fourth quarter. Up to this point, Kawhi Leonard had scored 19 points. Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam were the Raptors' leading scorers. Ultimately, it was undrafted point guard Fred Van Fleet who helped propel Toronto. Coming off the bench, Van Fleet started the fourth quarter with three consecutive three-pointers and finished the quarter with 12 points, giving Toronto the lead. Lowry and Siakam both finished with 26 points, and the Raptors held a late lead. With 18 seconds to play, the score was Raptors 111, Warriors 110. It was Toronto basketball out of bounds. With a championship in their grasp, the Raptors inbounded the ball to Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi passed the ball to Danny Green, the team's best free throw shooter. Instead of drawing the foul, Danny Green got trapped by Warriors forward Draymond Green. Danny passed the ball towards Pascal Siakam, and the pass went out of bounds with 9.8 seconds to play. With no Durant and no Thompson, Golden State was going to get one shot to win Game 6 and keep their season alive. For Danny Green and Kawhi, all of the Spurs Game 6 demons were coming out once again. The team that couldn't close out Miami in 2013 or Oklahoma City in 2014 couldn't close out Golden State in a Game 6. The parallels were there, now in Toronto instead of San Antonio. With 9.8 seconds, the Warriors inbounded the ball across the court to Draymond Green. Without dribbling, Green passed the ball to Steph Curry, and Curry shot a fading three-pointer. The ball hit the rim, then the backboard, and landed into the arms of Kawhi Leonard. With a one-point lead, Kawhi started dribbling away from the defenders and lost control of the basketball. Around half court, Kawhi, Draymond, and the Warriors' Andre Iguodala and Quinn Cook all fell to the floor, going after the basketball. With one second left on the clock, Draymond picked up the basketball, and Iguodala and Cook called for a timeout. The Warriors had no timeouts left, so they got assessed a technical foul. However, the Warriors were down one point, so if they don't call timeout, the game is over, and they lose the finals. It was, in a weird way, a good strategy. With 0.9 seconds left, the Raptors sent Kawhi to the free throw line to shoot the one technical free throw. Kawhi made it. Raptors 112, Warriors 110. Toronto got the basketball as part of the technical foul. When they inbounded the ball to Kawhi, they made sure to throw the ball as far away from the Warriors' basket as they could. Kawhi got fouled without any time running off the clock. Just like 2013, Kawhi was up two points with two free throws to seal an NBA Finals. The Oakland crowd was yelling at him with the hostility of the Miami crowd from six years earlier. First free throw, make. 
Raptors 113, Warriors 110. Second free throw, make. Raptors 114, Warriors 110. Final, the Toronto Raptors are 2019's NBA champions. Kawhi Leonard was named most valuable player of the 2019 NBA Finals. During the Toronto Raptors championship parade, it's estimated that 2 million people attended, the largest championship parade in NBA history. It's also the largest gathering of people in the history of Canada, and the seventh largest gathering in the history of the Western Hemisphere. Masai Ujiri felt he had done everything he could to convince Kawhi Leonard to stay in Toronto. He went all in on one season, and they won an NBA championship in a place nobody thought they could. Kawhi was beloved by an entire country, and without Kevin Durant, was regarded as the best player in the NBA. Kawhi Leonard still wanted to return to Los Angeles even after a championship. Part of it was about Kawhi's ability to market himself, another part was lifestyle. Kawhi really liked the idea of being able to live in San Diego during the season, be around his wife, his daughter, and his soon-to-be son. He was set on returning to Los Angeles for the past year, and the championship wasn't enough for him to change his mind. The 2019 NBA free agency was one of the biggest in history. Kawhi, Kevin Durant, Jimmy Butler, and Kyrie Irving were all free agents. That's four of the 15 best players in the sport. Additionally, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Chris Paul, and Anthony Davis were all going to be traded to new teams. Altogether, eight All-Stars were about to switch teams within the span of three weeks. On June 28th, two days before NBA free agency, Kevin Durant was recovering from surgery on his torn Achilles. He got a phone call that genuinely surprised him. It was from Kawhi Leonard. Durant and Kawhi had never had a deep relationship. They'd barely spoken more than a few sentences at a time. Kawhi called Durant and asked him if he wanted to team up with him in Los Angeles to play with the Clippers. Kawhi complimented Durant's game and told him that the two of them would pair really well together. Sources close to Durant told Ramona Shelburne that Kevin was really flattered by Kawhi reaching out to him, unprompted. Durant told Kawhi that he and Kyrie Irving had already decided months ago to play together in Brooklyn, and that he really appreciated the high praise. After being turned down by Durant, Kawhi then cold-called Jimmy Butler. Kawhi again asked if Butler wanted to team up with him on the Clippers. Jimmy was also honored that Kawhi wanted to play with him. Ultimately, he told Kawhi that he wanted to be a number one option on another team, and that ultimately turned out to be the Miami Heat. Free agency then began on June 30th. Durant and Kyrie officially signed with the Nets, a move that had been planned out for months, and Butler signed with Miami. Kawhi was out of options, and he wasn't quite sure what to do. He wanted to play for the Clippers, he didn't want to go unless a second All-Star came to play with him. The Lakers had just traded all of their young players and picks for Anthony Davis, and they could still find a way to sign Kawhi. 
Kawhi was very much not interested in playing with LeBron James and the Lakers, although he kept his options open. He just didn't know exactly what to do. Then, an unexpected option opened up for Kawhi. He learned that Russell Westbrook was thinking of leaving the Oklahoma City Thunder. He called Westbrook's teammate, Paul George, to see if George wanted to play with him in Los Angeles. George was very much interested, because he didn't want Westbrook to leave and him to be stuck in Oklahoma City. After Kevin Durant joined the Warriors in 2016, the Thunder acquired Paul George from the Indiana Pacers. Similar to Kawhi, George told the Pacers he wanted to be traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. George re-signed with Oklahoma City in 2018 because of Russell Westbrook. Also, like Kawhi, he too didn't want to play with LeBron James in Los Angeles. So, the Thunder and Clippers spent the first week of free agency working out a trade for Paul George. In the meantime, the NBA world waited to see what Kawhi Leonard would do. While waiting for a Paul George trade, two incredible things happened to Kawhi Leonard. Number one, Kawhi took a fake meeting with the Los Angeles Lakers, then blew them off. Lakers Governor Jeannie Buss and General Manager Rob Palenka waited roughly seven hours before Kawhi canceled their meeting. It was done partially to put pressure on the Clippers and also to sabotage the Lakers' free agency. The second event might be the most bizarre moment in NBA free agent history. It's what I like to call the Canadian O.J. Simpson chase. On July 3rd, 2019, the governors of the Toronto Raptors flew Kawhi Leonard from San Diego to Toronto for a free agent meeting. They sent their private plane to pick up Kawhi then a limo to drive him about 40 minutes from the airport to the Hazelton Hotel in downtown Toronto. As the plane was in the air, the flight plans were intercepted by a news station in Toronto. That station reported that Kawhi Leonard was on his way to Toronto to meet with the Raptors. A news helicopter ended up circling the airport when they captured video of Kawhi, Mitch Frankel, and a few other people getting into a limo from the airport. The helicopter then followed Kawhi's limo for 30 minutes across the Toronto highway. The video of the helicopter following Kawhi's car is reminiscent of the video of OJ Simpson being chased by police in Los Angeles in 1994. Thus, this was the Canadian OJ Simpson moment. By the time Kawhi arrived at the Hazelton Hotel, The video had gone viral on social media. There were about 200 people gathered outside the hotel, waiting for Kawhi's arrival. It is still to this day one of the most bizarre moments in the history of the NBA. The OJ Simpson-style helicopter chase was symbolic of just how much Toronto and Canada at large adored Kawhi Leonard. Ultimately, it was not enough to convince Kawhi to stay. Kawhi had spent years wanting to get to Los Angeles, and he was going to take advantage of his chances. The Clippers acquired Paul George from the Thunder for Shai Gilgis Alexander, Danilio Gallinari, five future first-round picks, and two future first-round pick swaps. Kawhi Leonard signed with the Clippers as soon as the trade was complete, 
which was roughly at about 11 p.m. West Coast time on Saturday, July 8th. Kawhi Leonard would be the first NBA Finals MVP to play with another team in the season after winning a championship. He would get to live in San Diego during the season and drive two hours to the Clippers facility for practices. Kawhi Leonard was now the face of a shoe company, won a second NBA championship, and now got to play with Los Angeles and Paul George. After two long years, Kawhi Leonard got everything he wanted and more. Alrighty, y'all, we are coming up on the end of the last episode. And so before we continue, I want to first and foremost say thank you. I set my expectations way too low for this podcast. Your guys' amount of subscribing and downloading and engaging on social media, it's been way more than anything I thought it would be. So thank you, thank you so much for your continued support of this show. Uh, If you want to engage with all of our work and continue supporting our dreams, there's a link in the episode and all of the episodes that is CKSAML Productions. It's a, a silly name that I came up with for our production company. It's got tons of work on there. There's podcasts, there's YouTube channels. I work at a radio station, so they have their own YouTube channel. Uh, you can check out the uh, merch store that we have. I've got a silly little merch store going on there and all of my social media accounts if you want to continue engaging with the show. Um, thank you so much for supporting my dreams. I say that with all of my work, but this one is especially a dream come true. So thank you to all of you who have supported this show over the past month and all of you who will continue to support it in the months that follow. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, let us resume with the final episode of The Fall of the Spurs Dynasty. Now, I'm not saying that the San Antonio Spurs would have won the 2019 championship, had Kawhi Leonard stayed. I'm saying the Spurs could have done exactly what the Toronto Raptors did with Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. We'll never know if the San Antonio Spurs would have won the 2019 championship. What I can say is the Spurs supporting cast in 2019 with LaMarcus Aldridge Danny Green, DeJounte Murray, Bryn Forbes, and Rudy Gay was as good as the 2019 Raptors team that did win the championship. Plus, we know that if the Spurs had kept Kawhi, Kevin Durant still would have been unavailable when they met in the Western Conference Finals. Again, I'm not saying the Spurs would have won the 2019 championship. I'm saying the Spurs could have done what Toronto did had they had Kawhi Leonard instead of DeMar DeRozan. I'm saying the Spurs' sixth NBA championship could be sitting in Toronto right now. Even if the San Antonio Spurs didn't win the championship and got nothing for Kawhi Leonard in free agency, they probably wished they had just kept Kawhi for that extra season and tried to win it all. It couldn't have gone much worse than what actually happened to the Spurs. Before Kawhi Leonard was traded, Manu Ginobili retired from the NBA after 16 seasons, 
all with the San Antonio Spurs. Tony Parker, the Hall of Fame point guard, was informed by Greg Popovich that DeJounte Murray would be the Spurs' starting point guard in 2019, and offered Tony a contract as the backup point guard. Parker was coming off the season where he recovered from the torn quad, and he wanted to prove to himself that he could still play at a high level. After long conversations with Popovich, Ginobili, and Tim Duncan, Tony Parker signed a contract with the Charlotte Hornets. The Hornets were coached by former Spurs assistant James Borrego, and recently signed his French national teammate, Nick Batum. Tony Parker held no ill will toward the Spurs for how the 2018 season ended. He moved back to San Antonio following his retirement in 2019. That one season Tony spent in Charlotte would be the only year that either Duncan, Ginobili, or Parker played for another team. That same summer, Kyle Anderson, the first-round pick who started in Kawhi's place, left the Spurs to sign with the Memphis Grizzlies. Then, Kawhi and Danny Green were traded to Toronto. The core of the 2016 Spurs team, the one that set the franchise record with 67 wins, was now just LaMarcus Aldridge. No Tim Duncan, no Kawhi, no Manu Ginobili, no Tony Parker, no Danny Green. Despite the heavy roster turnover, the San Antonio Spurs won 48 games in 2019, the same exact number of games as the 2018 season. LaMarcus Aldridge made his seventh and final All-Star game that year. The Spurs made the playoffs as the seventh seed in the Western Conference and faced off against the Denver Nuggets in the first round of the playoffs. The Nuggets were led by star center Nikola Jokic, who two years later would go on to win the NBA MVP in 2021 and in 2022. The Spurs and Nuggets split the first two games of the series in Denver. Behind a 36-point game from Derek White, the Spurs won Game 3 to take a two-games-to-one series lead. With Jokic's play, combined with multiple 20-point games from Jamal Murray, the Denver Nuggets won Games 4 and 5 of the series. The Spurs came back to win Game 6 at home, setting up a one-game winner-go-home Game 7 in Denver. With two minutes to play in Game 7, the Spurs trailed the Nuggets by eight points. Despite their strong defensive performance, they had only managed to score 80 points in the entire game. Shooting guard Bryn Forbes, who had been the Spurs' third leading scorer, made a three-point basket. 30 seconds later, he made one free throw to cut the Spurs' deficit to four. Nuggets 88, Spurs 84. With 50 seconds left to play, DeMar DeRozan stole the ball from Jokic, passed the ball to Forbes, who dunked it for two points. Nuggets 88, Spurs 86. On the next possession, Jamal Murray shot a 14-foot floating jump shot, and the high-arcing shot went in, giving Denver a four-point lead, 90-86. to 86. On the next possession, DeMar DeRozan had his shot blocked with 30 seconds to play. Down four points, the Spurs elected to play defense instead of fouling the Nuggets and sending them to the free throw line. It was a confusing strategy given that they were down by two scores, which was still a reachable point total. During this possession, Greg Popovich can be seen running halfway onto the court, yelling at his defense to pressure Jokic. After about 15 seconds, 
Pop gives up and moves back towards the Spurs bench. Jamal Murray ran the clock down to four seconds before missing a shot and letting the clock run out. Nuggets 90, Spurs 86. Game over. The Spurs lost in the first round for the second year in a row. In the past, this would be when the Spurs find value in places where other teams didn't. However, the Spurs' magic started to dry up. In 2017, San Antonio drafted Derek White in the first round. White did score 36 points in that playoff game against Denver. Altogether, White would be a solid backup for the Spurs, before being traded to Boston for Josh Richardson. The next year, in 2018, the Spurs drafted Lonnie Walker with their first-round pick. Walker played four seasons in San Antonio before signing a one-year contract with the Lakers. He never averaged more than 12 points a game. The next year, in 2019, the Spurs spent their first-round pick on Luka Samadric. Samadric spent two forgettable seasons in San Antonio before being cut prior to the 2021 season. All of the Spurs' second-round picks in those three years started a grand total of zero games in their Spurs careers. From 2017 to 2019, the only Spurs draft pick that worked out was the one they got from the Raptors in the Kawhi trade. With the 29th pick in 2019, the Spurs took Keldon Johnson, who they just re-signed to a four-year extension after he scored 17 points per game last year. After the 2019 draft, R.C. Buford was promoted from general manager to CEO of the San Antonio Spurs. Brian Wright was promoted to take his place. Buford's final major move running the Spurs was trading Davis Bertans, a former second-round gem, to the Washington Wizards. This move was made to make cap space for Marcus Morris as a free agent. After verbally agreeing to sign with the Spurs, Morris backed out of his deal, instead signing with the New York Knicks. The Spurs did not get Bertans back, leaving the team with nobody to start at power forward. The 2020 San Antonio Spurs were on their way to missing the playoffs before the COVID-19 pandemic postponed the end of the NBA season. Because they were within six games of the final playoff spot, the Spurs were invited to participate in the NBA bubble in Orlando in August 2020. Aldridge had undergone surgery during the stoppage and wouldn't be traveling with the team. The Spurs were led by DeJounte Murray, Bryn Forbes, DeMar DeRozan, Keldon Johnson, and Jakob Pertl. They also still had Patty Mills and Rudy Gay coming off the bench. The Spurs played well in the bubble, finishing 5-3 in their seeding games. However, it was not enough for them to make it to the final playoff spot. The Spurs finished 11th in the Western Conference with a 32-39 record. The 22-year streak of making the playoffs was over. For the first time since Greg Popovich appointed himself head coach in 1997, the Spurs were not a playoff team. After the NBA bubble, Bryn Forbes left San Antonio to sign with the Milwaukee Bucks. During the 2021 season, the Spurs and LaMarcus Aldridge 
struck a deal to buy out the last three months of his contract. Aldridge then signed with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on the Brooklyn Nets. Two weeks later, Aldridge would retire from basketball due to an irregular heartbeat. Aldridge would be medically cleared to return six months later and played the 2022 season with Brooklyn. He was joined there by Patty Mills, who after nine seasons with the Spurs, signed a two-year contract with Brooklyn. The Spurs finished with the 10th seed in the Western Conference in 2021. They advanced to the NBA's first-ever play-in round, where they had to win two straight games in order to make the playoffs. In their first matchup against the 9th-seeded Memphis Grizzlies, the Spurs lost by four points. For the second year in a row, the Spurs would miss the NBA playoffs. After the season, DeMar DeRozan left the Spurs to join the Chicago Bulls. The Spurs would get a first-round pick in return for helping the sign-and-trade go through. In the three years post-Kawhi Leonard, the Spurs failed to acquire top-level talent to keep the team relevant in the Western Conference. At the same time, Popovich and the Spurs also didn't maximize the talent they had on the team. Specifically, Pop failed to maximize the Spurs' career of DeMar DeRozan. In the three years prior to joining the Spurs, DeMar DeRozan made the All-Star team every year. He averaged 23.5, 27, and 23 points per game in those three years. In DeRozan's three-year Spurs career, he made zero All-Star teams. He scored 21, 22, and 21 points per game during his Spurs career. He went from averaging 19 shot attempts per game in Toronto to just under 16 a game in San Antonio. DeRozan's field goal percentage improved, which was a result of the fact Greg Popovich had DeMar stop shooting three-pointers. DeRozan is not a great three-point shooter. NBA analytics also suggests that it's better for even not great three-point shooters to shoot the ball outside every now and then in order to space the floor. DeRozan went from shooting 3.6 three-pointers per game in his last year in Toronto to less than one per game in his three years in San Antonio. Part of DeMar DeRozan's decline in productivity could be attributed to the fact that DeMar DeRozan was an older basketball player. He was in his 30s and entering his 10th year in the league, and perhaps DeRozan's days as a number one scoring option were behind him. In his first year with the Chicago Bulls, DeMar DeRozan made his first All-Star team since his last year in Toronto. He scored a career-high 28 points per game and shot nearly three times as many three-pointers as he did in San Antonio. DeRozan led the Bulls to the number six seed in the Eastern Conference. The Bulls lost in five games in the first round, but DeRozan did have 41 points in the Bulls' only playoff victory. In DeMar DeRozan's entire three-year Spurs career, he never once scored 41 points or more in a basketball game. DeMar DeRozan wasn't going to solve all of the Spurs' problems. At the same time, it's clear that the Spurs did not use DeRozan correctly during his three years in San Antonio. There was a time during the 2020 season where the Spurs were considering moving DeRozan to a sixth-man role when he was still the best player on a playoff team in 2022. The differences in DeRozan's statistics before and after San Antonio are so strange that I struggle to find another situation quite like it anywhere in the NBA. DeRozan was the major piece San Antonio wanted for Kawhi Leonard. 
they valued getting DeRozan back because he had three years of team control. Ultimately, in the three years DeRozan played in San Antonio, the Spurs didn't maximize his ability, and as a result, the team underperformed. By the 2022 season, the Spurs only had one member of the 2017 team still on the roster. After DeRozan and Aldridge left, DeJounte Murray emerged as the number one scoring option on the Spurs, in addition to being the best defensive point guard in the NBA. Murray led the league in steals in 2022 and scored 21 points per game. Murray made his first All-Star team and led the Spurs to a 34-48 and record. Once again, the Spurs were the 10th seed in the Western Conference and they had to win two play-in games to make the playoffs. The Spurs lost to the New Orleans Pelicans in their first play-in game. On June 29, 2022, the day we released episode one of this podcast, the Spurs cashed out on their former 2016 first-round pick. They traded DeJounte Murray to the Atlanta Hawks for three unprotected first-round picks. In the four years post-Kawhi Leonard, here's how the San Antonio Spurs finished. 2019, 48 wins, first round exit. 2020, 32-39 in shortened season, missed playoffs. 2021, 33 wins, missed playoffs. 2022, 34 wins, missed playoffs. Additionally, Everything that represented San Antonio Spurs' glory is gone. Tim Duncan is gone. Tony Parker is gone. Manu Ginobili is gone. Danny Green is gone. LaMarcus Aldridge, Patty Mills, DeMar DeRozan, DeJounte Murray, all gone. David Robinson, Bruce Bowen, Matt Bonner, Boris Diaw, they're all gone. Steve Kerr, Monty Williams, Ime Udoka, Mike Budenholzer, all gone. R.C. Buford moved on from basketball operations. He now runs the business side as CEO. Kawhi Leonard is gone. There's only a few things that remain in San Antonio. A bunch of banners, 30 years of memories, and the fans. And Greg Popovich. On March 12, 2022, Popovich became the winningest coach in the history of the NBA, notching his 1,336th career victory in his 26th season as head coach of the Spurs. If it weren't for all the Spurs players hugging Popovich after the game, he would have had no celebration after setting the record. He just walked back into the locker room with a big smile on his face. If you search Greg Popovich on Google, here's the first few options you'll find to fill in the search. Greg Popovich retire. Greg Popovich career. Greg Popovich retirement. It's as if everyone is looking at Greg Popovich and expecting him to retire. Popovich feels like he still has work to do. In episode two, 
We heard lots of Greg Popovich's former players and coaches talk about Pop as a leader first and a coach second. One of Popovich's old coaches joked that, quote, Pop's ideal version of retirement is moving to Europe, drinking wine, and coaching a basketball team, end quote. Retirement for Greg Popovich could be anything he wants. Right now, there's nothing he wants to do more than coaching the Spurs. The record of the team is less important. Perhaps Popovich keeps coaching because that's what he draws his identity from. Perhaps Popovich genuinely enjoys coaching. Perhaps coaching provides pop stability in a home where he now lives by himself. I suspect Pop's reasons for coaching include all of those things and so many more. The Spurs dynasty may have fallen, but it was never designed to last. There's a reason there has never been another San Antonio Spurs. There's a reason they hold 20 different NBA records. It's the reason they won five championships and were a top two seed for 16 years. It's the reason the Spurs are the greatest dynasty in North American pro sports. It's really hard to be that good for that long. Professional sports in America are designed to legislate parity. Teams aren't supposed to be able to move from David Robinson to Tim Duncan to Kawhi Leonard. And even if teams do get those star players, the salary cap exists so that teams aren't supposed to be able to keep David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili for their entire 20-year careers. Not even the New England Patriots lasted this long. The San Antonio Spurs were never supposed to last forever. But damn if they weren't close to pulling it off. They had Kawhi Leonard. If they could have smoothed over that relationship... They could have stayed young for a fourth decade. Maybe the Spurs don't win a championship in 2019. Maybe they don't win in 2020 or 2021 or 2022. But they would have been competing every year. And instead they became just another team. That part is going to sting for a long time. It's impossible to live forever. And the Spurs were so close to achieving it. The Spurs will miss the playoffs again in 2023. They will miss the playoffs again in 2024. By the time that happens, it will be seven years since Kawhi Leonard's injury versus Zaza Pachulia. In the seven years since, the Spurs will have recorded five consecutive missed playoff appearances and will have won a total of three playoff games. They will have one of the longest-running playoff droughts in all of the NBA. The Spurs dynasty did not survive past Popovich. It survived past David Robinson. It survived past Tim Duncan. It ended with Kawhi Leonard and Greg Popovich. After Greg Popovich's retirement, there will only be banners and memories. It's as if, on their way out the door, all the old Spurs handed Greg Popovich the keys to the dynasty and told him, take care of this for us, and whenever you're done, make sure to lock the doors behind you. 
This has been the fall of the Spurs dynasty. Thank you to everyone who has supported this podcast over the past month and beyond. I'm so appreciative for all of the support. It's been a massive success, and I really, really enjoyed making this show. Until next time, my name is Kyle Ledbetter. Take it easy.